Okay, guys, we are in Lesson 21. We are uh, looking at the book of Revelation. We're at Chapter 13, and today we're going to look at two individuals who are significant to the book in a secondary role, but they are significant. And we're going to try and gain some understanding. So let's kind of bring ourselves up to speed here. I, I do need to make a point here about what we're reading. Just so you know... What we're reading is not necessarily chronological. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? I think the judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the what's to come, the bowl judgments, the censor judgments, I think those are chronological. But in between his revealing of these judgments, John is kind of setting the stage a little bit. He's kind of setting the backdrop for you to understand what all is going on and why, how everything fits together. So last week we saw, you know, the woman, the child, and the dragon, and the emphasis there was the dragon making war on the people of Israel. And so we saw the spiritual dimension of that. Today we're going to see two individuals, the Antichrist and the false prophet, who, again, are making war on who? Israel, God's people, you understand. Now, here's what I want you to see. So on one hand, in one chapter, chapter 12, he's showing us the spiritual dimension of it. Here in chapter 13, he's going to show us the physical dimension of that. Does everybody understand that? So he's kind of setting the stage. He's trying to give us an overview. I mean, God, through his word, through his revelation to John, is trying to help us encompass all of it so that we understand. Now, again, let me... Let me say this as we begin to study today, because we're going to look at the Antichrist and we're going to look at the false prophet. Don't be dogmatic about your interpretation. The only thing that you need to understand is, is that there is going to be a future world ruler, the Antichrist, who is going to make war on, on Israel. You need to understand it. He's going to have with him somebody who is his promoter, so to speak, which is the false prophet, who is going to lead the world in the worship of the Antichrist. Now, beyond that, you need to understand what the Bible says about different things, but don't get dogmatic about your interpretation of who it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, like, if you really look at the issue, even over, and I've been a believer for 25 years, and in 25 years, there have been a number of interpretations as to who this guy is. So, let me refresh your memory a little bit. Do you realize that when Ronald Reagan became president in 1980, there was a segment of the Christian community that thought he was the Antichrist? Now, some of you are like, what? Yes, do you want to know why? Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters, six letters, six letters. And it especially was true after John Hinckley Jr. attempted to assassinate him. So that was the church. Now, Ronald Reagan is dead now. Here's another one. John Paul II, head of the Catholic Church, was considered the Antichrist, especially after the Turkish guy tried to what? Assassinate him. Now, he's dead now, too. 
Saddam Hussein. So the church is, yeah, you understand what I'm saying. So, I mean, that's not be dogmatic. Because it's open to interpretation. Really, can I be honest with you folks, we just need to understand what's going to come. And the reason why we understand what's going to come is, is we understand whoever it is, his final lot in this world, in this life, in the next life, is the lake of fire. You understand? He is defeated. So that's the reality. So let's look at what the Bible says. And so as we go through this, hopefully you'll be enlightened uh, and you'll understand. First of all, look with me, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his, ten, on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of the bear, and his mouth like the mouth of the lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And the authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So let's talk about this beast. First of all, there's an introduction here we see. John sees a beast come out of the sea. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Just so you understand, from John's perspective, what is the greatest body of water that he would have known? You're John living in Israel, even going up into uh, Asia Minor where he was, near Ephesus. What would be the greatest body of water? What would be the sea to him? Is it the Atlantic Ocean? Does he even know about the Pacific Ocean? I mean, what, what body of water does he know? The Mediterranean. So when he talks about seeing a beast come out of the sea, many believe that what he's talking about here is that this person is a Gentile. This king who's going to arise, this world ruler who comes up out of the sea 
is a Gentile. So it's a Gentile ruler. Here's how he's described. Verses 1 to 2. He is the ruler of the revived Roman Empire. He's the ruler of the revived Roman Empire. Now, the reason why there it says that he has seven heads and ten horns, and his uh, and on his ten horns were ten crowns. And the concept there is is that these ten ten crowns, excuse me, these ten horns are either ten kingdoms or ten governments because they have crowns. And, and a lot of speculation has gone into it over the years. How many of you, some of you weren't born then, some of you in the room here, but how many of you remember all the way back in the 70s, Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth? How many of you remember that book? Maybe you even read it. And uh, Hal Lindsey's view was is that uh, the ten nations were the European Union. How many of you remember that interpretation? Now here's the problem with it. Back in the 80s, they blew that one because they have more than ten nations now. It's basically all of Europe and all of the, you know, Eastern Europe basically is in the European Union, including Turkey now. I think Turkey's trying to get into it. So, uh, so that's obviously not, so it's some kind of revived Roman Empire. Now let me just explain something to you. In the Bible, there are different, it doesn't have to be in Europe. Can I explain that to you? Because the Roman Empire, by, by John, Peter himself, and the epistles of Peter, are referred to as Babylon. Now, where's Babylon? It's in the Middle East, but Rome's over in, in Europe. So, what I want you to understand, when we talk about the revived Roman Empire, it doesn't have to be physically in Rome. What you need to understand is that there is a government that's going to be like Rome. Do you understand? It's going to be a world government. And so some now, the latest interpretation is, is that these ten governments might be ten regional governments. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now you're saying, what do you mean, regional government? Well, that's happening. Because now you've got the Eurozone. That's a regional entity. You've got APEC. Anybody know what APEC is? It's the Asian Pacific Economic whatever. It's, you know, it's it's... Basically, you're talking about different areas now. Hey, whether you like it or not, your American dollar is going to go away someday. Do you know that? Because they're already talking about, for, for the sake of e economy and f so that you guys can maintain your lifestyles and stuff, trying to maybe combine, they've been negotiating it for a long time, combine Canada, U.S., and Mexico together under one currency. You understand what I'm saying? So that, you know, do you understand? So it's possible that the regional governments are economic. I mean, it was speculation. I can't be dogmatic about it. Neither can you. But the point is, is that there's going to be a ruler, and he's going to be a ruler over ten governments. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's kind of, he's going to be a ruler. The basic point is it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. All right? A revived Roman Empire. Now, Here's the empowerment of the beast. Look at verse 2. Look at, the, uh, look at the empowerment. The ruler, whoever he is, is empowered by Satan himself. Satan himself is going to empower this beast. I think the question last week was, 
what point does that take place? I don't know what, what point. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us, but at some point he's going to be the world ruler and the authority and power that he has is going to come from who himself? Satan. Now, I want to stop for a moment. I want you to look at something that's very interesting, and I think it's very significant. I want you to look with me at verse 3 of chapter 12, the description of the red dragon. Look at what it says there. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, go over to verse 2 of chapter 13. Verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having what? Seven heads and what? Ten horns. Now, here's what I want you to see. I think there's a reason why there's a parallel there. Because I think one is an expression of the other. Because when you see the beast, who's he empowered by? Satan. I think there's a parallel there. I think the descriptions are almost exact, except for the fact that the beast has ten horns representing ten governments. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily trying to be like the Godhead, although it could be. There, there's some folks who are into numerology and so forth who might say that. But I think what the point I want you to see is, is that in chapter 12 you see the spiritual dimension of it, Satan. And then in chapter 13 you see the human dimension, who Satan is controlling. It's almost like they're the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not the, you know, Satan is not the beast, beast is not Satan, but they're connected. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think that what you're seeing there is the reality that they're, they're intermeshed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because Satan is empowering. Satan is possessing this guy. Do you understand? Satan is possessing this guy. So this ruler is empowered by Satan himself. Now, verse 3 talks about the fatal wound. Here's what I want you to see. And there's no point for you to write down in your book, but here's what I I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This world ruler is going to be wounded. Most believe that he's going to be wounded, uh, seriously wounded mortally wounded. But the reality is, is that he's going to be healed miraculously. And the miracle of his healing is going to marvel the entire world. Do you understand what I'm saying? The entire world is going to think, wow. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You, you're, you're sitting there thinking, oh, you've got to be kidding me, George. The whole world's going to think that? You have to understand, there is a deception that's going on in the world at this point. And if you are deceived, you'll believe anything. And I believe that there is going to be some sort of healing, but it's going to be a satanic healing of this gentleman. And the world will be deceived. Now, you're saying, people are that dumb, will they be that deceived? You better believe it. History bears it out. You'd be surprised. If you are, if you are so wrapped up in who your person is, you'll believe anything. 
people can get to the place where they get so consumed with who the personality is that they'll worship them. So whoever it is, he's going to suffer a wound, he's going to be healed, and everybody's going to be like, wow. And notice what the passage says. Look at verse 3. They'll marvel, and what else will they do? Follow the beast. They'll be led by him. So then notice verse 4 to 6. There's going to be, they're not just going to follow him, they're going to worship him. So here's what's going to happen. The beast and Satan will be worshipped by people. The beast and Satan will be worshipped by people. We see that in verse 4. You know, right now we're a secular society. Does everybody understand that? We're not a Christian society. We're a secular society. We're, we're, we're primarily, I mean, even though most claim to be Christian, we primarily, in this country, are secular. That's the predominant religion. At some point, that's going to change, folks, to where we no longer, we act like there's no God, to where we're going to actually start worshiping a human being. The beast. The Antichrist. You understand what, what I'm saying here. So they're going to follow him, they're going to worship him, and they're going to worship Satan. Now let's go on. The beast will assume the role of God. We see that in verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now again, that's three and a half years, folks. So he's going to have authority for three and a half years. So I think this is the latter part of the tribulational period. Really, what we're dealing with, with these things that we're talking about here, are in the last half of the tribulation. So again, remember now, chapter 12, we talked about how, again, the spiritual dimension, the dragon is making war on the offspring of the woman, which is Israel, and it's for what? A period of three and a half months, the last part. This is just the other dimension of it, the human dimension of it. The vehicle by which Satan, the dragon, makes war on Israel. So he's going, to be, he's going to assume the role of God. Now here's what he's going to do. He will speak out and blaspheme the true God and his people. He's going to speak out and he's going to blaspheme the true God and his people. So then I want you to notice the worldwide power of the beast. The beast will be allowed to make war against the saints. He will be allowed to make war against the saints. Then look at verse 7. This is how I know this is not true today. This, this, we're not even anywhere close to this now. But at some point, look at verse 7. This is, this is, this is the influence and the power of this guy. Look at what verse 7 says. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And look, an authority was given him over, look at what it says there, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So here's what I want you to understand now. Let me explain that to you a little bit before I give you the point. Every tribe. Now, we don't understand that anymore because, we're, you know, in America, we're a melting pot of nations and so forth. 
So, I mean, if I talk to you, some of you here will say you've got a little bit of Cherokee in you. And then some of you will say, well, I've got a part Irish or Polish or Slavic or Russian or German, you know, or Italian or I'm just a mutt. I'm a mix of anything. I don't know what I am, you know. I'm just American, you know. And, and, and that's our concept. But you have to understand, in a lot of parts of the world, they are divided up into tribes. This is true in Africa. Okay? In fact, I remember going to Kenya over 20 years ago, 22 years, 21 years ago now. They have 52 different tribes in Kenya. 52 distinct tribes in Kenya. And a lot of times when you see the ethnic violence in Africa, it's one tribe making war against another tribe. We understand it here with the American Indians, the different tribes of American Indians. Now, okay, so we see tribes, then tongues, okay, that's languages. Those are languages. So he's, he's kind of giving us a description of what he is over. He's talking about every tribe, every language. And he goes one step farther, farther and he says nations. Now, let me explain something. That is not what we know of as nations, because when we think of nations, we think of borders and governments. That is not what the word there is communicating. The word there is ethne, or ethnicities. So what he's basically saying is, and here's the point I want you to understand, is that the beast will have authority over the entire world, every kind of people group you can imagine, whether it's a tribe or a language or an ethnicity, he is going to be ruler over everybody. Now let's stop for a moment. Is that, is that true today? No. Just look at a UN meeting. They can't agree on anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not true right now, but at some point it's going to be true. This guy is going to raise up and he's going to be ruler over everybody in the world. And here's the thing. Everybody is going to worship him. Here's the next point. All unbelievers will worship the beast. All unbelievers will worship the beast. Here's how it's described. Look with me at verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. And here's what it's, it's going to make a distinction. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Basically, it's those who are not going to be saved. Those who aren't saved. Whose names are not written. You understand, when your name is written in the book of life, you are a believer, you're secure. What it's saying is that everybody else will worship the beast. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Do you think salvation is possible for these folks? Yes. No. Because we're going to see later, when we get into the last part, we're going to see that they receive the mark of the beast. And the very scripture very clearly will tell us that those who receive the mark of the beast will be cast into the lake of fire. There's no hope for these folks, people. At this point, when he's ruling and they start worshiping him, there's no hope. 
Do you understand? There's no, there's no message of salvation for them. Do you understand? This is why the direction is turned to who? Israel. God's chosen people. And the reason why the beast is going to make war on them is because they're not going to be worshipping the beast. They're not going to be assuming the, the, the mark. Do you understand? You understand what I'm saying? Some of you look confused. Like, so if you're confused, speak up. All except for those who are sealed. You understand what I'm saying? All will worship the beast. Who are, and notice, the, look at what it says there, verse 8. Whose names are not written. There's the exception. If your name is not written in the book of life of the Lamb, you're going to worship the beast. You understand that? Yeah, Caleb. Yes, there are because we're talking about we're dealing with Israel. And there were 144,000 sealed. And when we get to chapter 14, folks, we're going to see the 144,000 mentioned again. You understand what I'm saying? There were 144,000 who were sealed. And so there are believers. And I, we also saw that there are martyrs during the tribulational period. So there are others who will believe, but they're written in the book of life. So you understand. So there are, be, there are going to be believers... And these are the people of God that the beast is going to make war on. You understand? He's going to come after Christians. But the reality is, there are going to be believers there. But the point is, is if your name is not written in the book of life, you're going to worship the beast. I think at this point, there is no more salvation for people. Do you understand what I'm saying? At this point, whatever it is, there's not going to be salvation anymore for Gentiles. Because they have given themselves over to worship who? Satan and the beast. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, all unbelievers will worship the beast. Now, let's look at verses 9 through 10. Here's what I want you to understand. The writer calls us to pay attention to what has been written. So this is... Okay, this is, understand, we've talked about a lot of different things so far up to this point in the book of Revelation, haven't we? We've seen a lot of things that are going to happen. We've seen a lot of things that are traumatic and terrible. But up right now with this individual, John pauses and he's told to write this statement. And the statement in verse 9 is, is that you and I as believers need to pay attention to what's written here. What is it that's written here? The description and the activity of the beast, the Antichrist. You and I need to know that. This is important that you and I know that. This is important that you and I know that. Now, why do you think it's important that you and I understand this? Okay, so we have a heart for others because the time for sharing and the time for salvation is what? Right now, folks. That's good. Anybody else? Why else do you think? To warn people. And can I be honest with you, the biggest warning is even for you in the church, don't worship some guy. Can I be honest with you? Don't worship some political leader. I don't care what party you belong to. And you know, in this room, we've got many parties and many levels of commitment to parties. Some of you diehard Democrats. Some of you are diehard Republicans. Some of you are diehard, I don't care. You, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? So... The warning is, there's a warning here. Man, you've got to be careful who you're worshiping. Here's what I want you to see. 
Here's what he's telling. Then the encouragement is for you and I in verse 10. The writer calls the readers to rest in God's providence. The writer calls the readers to rest in God's providence. Look at verse 10. Here's what he says. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. So he's talking about the reality of what's going to happen. Those who kill are going to be killed. Those who lead in captivity will be taken into captivity. Here, this is, the, this is the statement, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. What's he saying to us? You need to be patient, folks. There's a course of action that needs to take place. This has to take place. And our faith is something beyond that Jesus Christ is coming back. Just be patient. Just have faith. It's going on. Now, we get to verses 11 through 18, and what we see there is the second beast. So let's look at verses 11 through 18. Look here. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy and sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Let's talk about the beast out of the earth. John sees another beast that comes from the earth. Now, here's the interesting thing. We saw that the other beast came out of the sea. Some scholars feel that's a Gentile. This beast comes out of the earth. So it's very possible that some scholars feel that this false prophet may himself be a Jew. This false prophet may be a Jew because Israel is often seen as being people of the earth. And so this one comes out of the earth. So it's not coming out of the sea, which is where the Gentiles are, but coming out from a, out of the earth there, he is possibly a Jew. So he may be Jewish. Okay? Then again, we can't be dogmatic about that. All right? What we want to see is, is that there's a second beast who comes out of the earth. The other thing is this. This beast is a religious figure. 
When you look at verse 11 there, the, the point that I want you to see is, is that uh, he is a religious figure. He has two horns like a lamb and horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So often they feel that he is a religious figure. And obviously so, because he leads the world, as we see in this passage, in the what? The worship of the beast. This is a religious figure. Here's his power and authority. The beast receives his authority from the first beast. So his authority and power come from the Antichrist himself. Does everybody understand that? So his authority and power come from the Antichrist himself. So he's got authority and power that comes from the Antichrist himself. And here's what he does. He causes the whole world to worship the first beast. So what he's doing is, is that he is the one who's going to lead the whole world in worshiping the first beast. That's going to be his primary duty, is to get everybody to focus on and give adoration and praise and glory and whatever else, total devotion to the Antichrist. That's where he's at. So he causes the whole world to worship the first beast. Now, here's his miracles. Let me just stop for a moment. I want you to understand something. This is where we're going to need to be careful. There's a movement today in Christianity that is really focused on the whole issue of signs and wonders. Everybody understand that? Okay. And what usually happens is, is that in that movement... Uh, see, what happens is, is we, could, we always go, in Christianity, rather than staying even keeled and being guided by the Word of God, we can drift off into you know, either legalism, which is traditionalism, which is what we see the Pharisees do, which we see a lot of Christians doing today, or we can drift off into experience, where experience trumps all. And, and one of the movements today in Christianity is the whole signs and wonders thing, and it's like every time there's some sort of sign or wonder, that must be God. Well, you have to be careful. Because the reality is, is that Satan can do signs and wonders too. Does everybody understand me? And what we're going to see here is that this human being who is the false prophet, who is the second dude under the Antichrist, is able to perform miracles that will basically cause awe from the world. Now, how is he able to do that? Through the power of Satan. Now, Satan's not omnipotent, guys. He's not God. But he's able to do things that are signs and wonders. So you need to be careful what you claim as being from God. You know, that, that's, you know, you say, are you sure that affects the church? Yeah, it affects the church. You cannot claim everything that happened woo as being from God. Because Satan is able to do things and manipulate things that are from him. In fact, we see that here with this false prophet. So let's notice his miracles. He causes fire to come down from heaven. Now, 
Let's stop. You know, Satan is an imitator. He always tries to imitate God. Isn't it true that God has called fire down from heaven? In fact, we just read in the book of Revelation about the two witnesses calling down fire from heaven. We also know from the Old Testament who called down fire from heaven, who prayed down fire from heaven. Elijah. Okay, so this guy is going to deceive the world by being able to call down fire from heaven. All right? It's a miracle that he performs. Here's the other one. He deceives the entire world with great signs. He's going to deceive the entire world with great signs. So he's going to do some things that are pretty spectacular. And we're not talking David Copperfield, make the, do whatever you're doing to make the Statue of Liberty disappear. And it's not really disappeared. He's going to do something that's going to be really wow. He's going to do great miracles. But I have to remind you, the empowerment to do these miracles is from who, folks? Satan. From Satan. Okay? Now, but there's something else that he's going to do that's, that is almost beyond our understanding of how he's able to do it. We don't know yet, but you need to understand. And, and don't try to figure it out. Don't think, oh, yeah, here, here's what he's going to do. He's going to create an image of the first beast that is to be worshipped. So he's going to create an image of the first beast that is to be worshipped. So he's going to create another, like a prototype. You know, not, not a mini-me, okay? Some of you who've watched, uh, you know, the Austin Power movies, it's not a, a mini-me thing. This, this is another image of the beast, of the Antichrist. Now, it's not just because you say, oh, yeah, I could create a wax figure or something or, or you know, whatever. No, because this is going to be, this is why I'm telling you this is satanic. Uh, this one, this image will be able to do what, folks? Speak. This image will be able to speak. So there's been speculation. So it must be a robot with a voice box. Folks, I don't know what it is. I just want you to understand. We already see that he's able to do miracles empowered by Satan. So he's going to create another image of the beast who's able to speak. Some people speculate it could be cloning. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? But it still takes, even with a, a baby born as a clone, it still takes 32 years or more for it to get to adulthood. You know? Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever it is, it's really not for us to know. We just need to know that this dude, this guy, this false prophet, has some serious power. Now, here's what he's going to do, though. He has those who refuse to worship killed. He's like the enforcer. Because he's the religious figure, if you refuse to worship the beast... That's it. That's your death sentence. You will die. He's going to have you killed. He has the religious authority to do that. So he has those who refuse to worship the beast killed. And my understanding is, is you know, we already know, we've already seen that there is a vision. One of the seals is a vision of many martyrs from many tongues, tribes, and nations. The fact of the matter is, is that there are those who have experienced salvation and they will die. And I think primarily the reason why they will die is because they refuse to worship who? The beast. 
You say, has that ever happened before? It has happened since the beginning of Christianity, since Jesus was here, folks. Remember, during the early church, refusing to offer incense to another Antichrist type, the emperor, would get you killed. It's still happening to this day. So then, here's the interesting thing. It's the mark of the beast. We see that in the last part. This is where we're going to wrap up with. Here's what's going to happen. The second beast has everyone receive a mark. And look at verse 16. It's very clear who all is going to receive it. I mean, he basically says both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. That's everybody, folks. Small and great means your level of prominence, whether you're a commoner or a prominent person, whether you're a poor person or a rich person, whether you are a free person or a slave. That's everybody. All of humanity is going to be told to receive this mark. To receive this mark. Now, here's what's going to happen. This mark allows people to buy and sell. Now, first of all, I want you to notice they'll receive this mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. They're going to, or on their foreheads. So it's one or the other. They're either going to have it on their, on their right hands or it's going to be on their forehead. So one or the other, they're going to have a mark. And it's going to enable them to buy and sell. Now, this is why some people speculate that maybe it is a computer chip implant or something like that. You know, back when barcodes first came out, do you remember when, how many of you can remember back in the 70s when barcodes came out? Everybody was all freaked out about the barcodes and, you know, about scanning and stuff. And they think, well, maybe it's a tattoo of a barcode or whatever. I don't know what it is, but it's some sort of mark, and it's going to enable you to buy and sell. Now, here's the reality of it. That is becoming more and more real each day. Do you know there's a technology in the world that is not here in the U.S., but it's everywhere else right now, especially in poor countries? that they can make purchases at stores with their cell phone. How many of you have heard that? It's a type of, of type of economics that's going on. It's actually very beneficial to poor countries. So like for instance, if, if uh, let's say I'm just a worker and Lori's back at home and I went to the next city to work and I'm sending money back, the way you, they used to do it is you paid someone to take the money back for you that you could trust. You paid them. Now, with my cell phone, you know, I can just go to bank, have it put on there, and then I can transfer it to back home. And when they go make a purchase, they don't even have to dial anything. They can just take your cell phone and scan it. It's happening in South Africa right now. It's starting to happen in Haiti. On a small scale, it's just on, it's on an experimental scale right now. And, and it's happening in third world countries everywhere. The ability to be able to, trans, to have transactions without money, and the number one reason why they're doing it is security. Because you don't have to carry cash. And if you don't carry cash, you don't have to worry about somebody robbing you and killing you. Do you think that will come here? You better believe it. Because the number one fear right now in the United States is somebody stealing your what? Identity. 
and you see everything happening, you can almost see why it's going to take place. So like right now, if you go to the doctor, you realize before doctors, you know, you ever been in a doctor's office and they got all those files? They're transferring all that over to computer. You realize that? In fact, I was just listening to NPR here a couple of weeks ago. They're talking about they have most doctors' offices are going to be required to hire another staff person just to enter data in. So you think about it; it, it almost makes sense. Almost makes sense. I'm not advocating we do this, but it almost makes sense. If the most secure way for me to handle my finances, and you know, if I'm hurt and you know I go to the hospital, all they got to do is scan my scanner thing. And there's my medical records. You know, if I go to the, I don't, but if I go to the state store and want to buy liquor and you really want to know how old I am, do you understand what I'm saying? It's going to make sense, and everybody's going to say, yeah. Everybody's going to be like, yeah, this, this makes sense. We need to do this. What do you mean you don't want to do it? In fact, if you don't want to do it, how are you going to be perceived by everybody else? How are you going to be perceived, folks? Yeah, you're a nut. You, man, get out of this society. You must be one of those fringe people who, and, and especially if you're a Christian or if you are a believer of God, there you go again trying to squash our lives. Do you understand? You see what's happening there. And so this mark allows people to buy and sell. Now, here's the other thing. The writer warns us to be aware of the significance of the mark. We see that in verse 18. In fact, he goes ahead and calculates it. It's the mark of man. 666, or 666. He wants us to be aware of the significance of the mark. Okay, that kind of ends our lesson there in Lesson uh, 21. Next week we'll get into Lesson 22, the preparation for the final series of judgments as we get into Revelation chapter 14. All right, let's close our time. We'll get ready for the morning worship.